good morning, everybody. How you doing today? I um I loved hearing that from all the youth. Thank you guys for sharing um, camp. I I love camp. I, I got to go to camp every year as a kid. I continued to go to camp um, every year when I was too old. I went as a counselor, and then I ended up I was directing camp. But I got my call to be a pastor at camp. Um, I, I love what God does at camp. I feel like there's almost no other better experience to just get out, get unplugged, and really dive into what God is doing and hear from him than at camp. So I'm glad you guys got to go. And I also echo what Alan said. Thank you to everybody who donated to the fundraisers that we did um, to assist with camp. And um, next week, or tomorrow, um, I have the privilege of taking um, four of our little younger ones uh, to kids' camp at the same place. And so I get to go um, pretend that I'm in my 20s and dominate all the kids at games and camp. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get hurt, and it's going to be glorious. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to uh, the book of Malachi. We're going to read from Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to conclude a series this morning. And uh, can, I be, can I be really open and vulnerable and honest with you guys this morning? I mean, I'm, I'm always honest with you guys. <laughs> Don't think, he's going to be honest this week. What about all the other weeks? <laughs> right? Um, I, I've shared this before. When, when I'm... Every Sunday morning before I come up here to speak, I feel nauseous. That, that's every single Sunday morning. I, I, I get nervous for what I'm going to say. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of weight on my shoulders, and I'm, I'm really trusting in God to, to speak through me. But I just feel a lot of, of pressure. It's not stress. It's not underprepared. It's just I'm, I'm talking about the Word of God, and I, I, I feel nervous when I do it. Um, every now and then I come across a topic that amplifies my nerves. And I'm like, oh man, God, I really hope they hear you and not me on this. And this is one of those talks today. Um, I was nervous all last night. I know that, um, so if anyone follows like Enneagram things, I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram chart. It means I'm extroverted. I love being around people. I'm outgoing. People will say, hey, if there's, if there's a group gathering, Dustin's going to come and he's going to bring the board games and the card games. He's going to have a lot of fun. Um, during COVID, I was freaking out because I couldn't see people. That's kind of my personality. Um, when I freak out, I turn into a one. And that's the stress organized things. All of a sudden you get OCD with stuff. And that, that was kind of me yesterday and the day before. I know that Stephanie came in and said, you know, hey, Dustin, we're going to do this. And I was playing a video game. I was like, I can't even think about that right now. Just let me, let me save the world for a minute because that's what I can do. <laughs> and, and I know that it was in relation to just being nervous about, about today. So when we go into our last talk on money today, um, I, what I really want you guys to do is uh, really hear my heart behind it, really hear what God is saying behind it, and, and know that um, if, if you have an issue with what's said today, you've got to take it up with that guy, because I'm going to read his words, and, and less of mine and more of his. But um, really hear from God today. Really trust in what he says about our finances as we close this series out. Sound good? All right, so Malachi chapter 3. We're going to finish our series on, on money talks. And um, having said that, I, I do appreciate uh, the comments I've got about this series and what people have said God has kind of challenged them on when it comes to finances. I think we can all grow in this area and really learn what it means to be stewards of, of God's resources, what he's given us to manage. And um, if, you're, uh, if you're visiting us for the very first time today, um, <laughs> I hope you don't leave and go, I went to church and they talked about money. First time ever, and they went to money. <clears throat> But, um, but hear, hear what, what God is saying about it, and I, I promise you what I, what I said when we started this series, I'm not giving this series out of a desperate, to make you feel guilty about anything with finances. This is strictly, let's see what the Bible says about it. Let's talk about what God talks about in over 2,000 verses in Scripture. 
So money talks, that's been the title of our series. Money says a lot, and we've covered five issues or five things that money says to us so far. We have serve me, we have earn me, save me, spend me, and then last week, trust me. And again, thank you to Theoden for doing the trust fall last week. Um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought of I should have let you fall you know, a couple times. It would have been really fun. But, but thank you for always being one of the guys I can come up here and, and pick on as we, we talk. But we, we've, we've dived into a lot of what the world says about money and how we handle our resources. What are we being responsible with? What are we being irresponsible with? How can we be better stewards of what God says? Because he says a lot about it. And today we're going to end on probably the most controversial one that money says. And like I said, I really want two things to happen as you hear this. Hear my heart behind this passage it's, it's really easy for people, when, when a pastor talks about money, it's really easy to, to have that switch and say, oh, well, here we are. He's talking about money. He's going to guilt trip me. He's going to say, I need to do this, and I should be doing this. But please know that's not my intention. My heart, first and foremost with anything, is that the words that I speak to you guys all bring you to a close relationship with Jesus. First and foremost, I want that to be everything that happens. You come closer to Christ through everything that we say and do here. And second, I really want us to understand what God is saying through the passages. And like I said, this, root, this has controversial roots, but if all else fails, listen to the word, listen to God, trust and follow him always as I'm doing my best in this area. So as we dive in, uh, let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that we can trust and rely on you always. And I pray that as we, uh, as we read your words, I pray, God, that we're challenged. I pray we're convicted, but ultimately I pray we're inspired and changed by your words. God, we let your, your word move through us. We let your spirit move through us and, and cause us to do incredible things, acts of obedience and act of love for you and you alone. We thank you, love you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So in 1913, Dayton, Ohio experienced the greatest natural disaster that they've ever had in history. In March of that year, there was a series of severe winter rainstorms that hit the Midwest. And within three days... They had 8 to 11 inches of rain throughout the great Miami River, and it watershed already saturated soil. And what happened is it resulted in a 90% runoff of water in their, in their state. The river, and its, the river overflowed, existing levees failed, and downtown Dayton was flooded up to 20 feet deep. That is a lot of water. Uh, by comparison, the volume of water that passed through the river channel during the storm equaled the monthly flow of Niagara Falls. Approximately $100 million worth of property was damaged, and, and 360 lives were lost. That's a huge flood. I think that's $100 million of uh, property damage, $19.13. That's a, that's a lot of dollars. The people of Dayton were determined to prevent a flood like that from ever happening again, so the government appointed people, he appointed the Dayton Citizens Relief Commission. And in May of 1913, they conducted a 10-day fundraiser and collected more than $2 million, again, 1913, $2 million, which I think if, if I looked it up right, inflation, that's probably around 10 to $13 million today. They, they raised $2 million to fund flood control effort, and the result was the Conservatory District's flood control system, which has prevented flooding in that area more than 1,500 times since its completion. That's pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal story of destruction, but also a phenomenal story of people giving to something at the end that then has saved lives and saved uh, the city and money 1,500 times since its completion. See, wa water is pretty amazing, right? 
we're made up mostly of water. The earth is made up mostly of water. But water is the bringer of life, but water can also be very destructive. If anyone's ever had a pipe burst at home, you know the stories, or know someone who's had a pipe burst at home. The very thing that fuels your house, and you need it for everything, can destroy your house. If it has nowhere to go, it will find a place to go, and it can be destructive, right? Water can flood homes, it can flood businesses, and it can even take lives, but it can also be life-giving. When water is allowed to, to overflow and run off as it's supposed to, it can provide nutrients for crops. Sometimes natural springs, and right next to them, you see amazing things growing because of the natural flow of water. It can feed livestock, produce life and fruit. So there's many healthy ways that water has to overflow. Water has to go somewhere. Now, we've been talking about money, and our money needs the same thing. Our money can do the same thing. Just as a lot of water can be used to produce life or destroy it, so can money. Money can be used to build life. Money can be used to, to create. Money can also destroy. When money is worshipped, it becomes blocked up and hoarded. It results in greed. We've kind of talked about the, the hoarding mentality of finances and money. But when we allow it to overflow where it's needed, when we allow our, our resources to flow out into what God calls us to give to, we can see life flow. We, we can see good things happen. I mean, one example we just had was uh, some of our resources went to help get kids to camp. And man, if those stories weren't enough to say, well, that was money well spent, I don't know what is, right? That was really, really amazing. We allowed our resources to go to Mexico recently, and we were able to build a house and give, give away a lot of money to people that needed and, and, and help support missionaries down there. So an overflow of money, and when it flows naturally, that can be a really, really good thing. The result of generosity is fruit and life and growth. When money is not allowed to go anywhere, it can result into a damage to our own hearts. It can result in selfishness, withholding, and obviously, I mean, and then what it can lead to as well is withholding a blessing from other people. Money that we hoard for ourselves can be used in so many different ways. The amazing thing is, though, just like floodwaters, when, when money can flow, there always seems to be more than enough. When money is allowed to flow, there always seems to be more than enough. And this is what the practice of giving does in comparison to worshiping money. So this is a, the critical topic with money talks, right? Money says all those things. The last thing we're going to talk about today is money says give me. Money talks, it says give me. I think one of the most freeing and fun things you can do with our finances, what we can do with our finances, is we can be a blessing to people. We can be givers of what God has given us. Now, often when, when churches talk about money, often this is the, the crucial point, right? This is what's talked about a lot. It's all about giving. You've got to give to the church. But giving is only one part of managing, only one part of the way we, we manage. We have to earn, we have to spend, and we have to save, but it's also wise to save some to put aside to then be able to give to others. The Bible says that all we have is already God's, right? We are managers of his resources. We are not owners of what he's given us. We are the stewards and the managers. And that's why we spent five weeks talking about this, looking at everything God wants us to do with his money. Now, now as your pastor, something I refuse to do, I will not put pastor pressure on you and re, but to, to say, you must do this, you must do that. I don't want to put that pressure on you. But at the same time, I don't want to be someone who sits idly by and doesn't instruct us on what Scripture says about it and challenge us in a way that brings us closer to being obedient and lovers of God's word. I want to make sure that, that we, we have the right blueprints for our finances, for our families, for our heart, for our lives. 
And, and while I think finances can be badly distorted by ungodly pressure and ungodly constant emotional public appeals, sometimes for, from churches, sometimes from televangelists, sometimes from people saying, I'm going to show you this really sad picture so you'll give to this instead. I don't want to create that kind of pressure. I just want to create biblical understanding in a way that we can foster a growing, healthy, loving relationship with God. But because some people abuse it doesn't mean that we can't talk about it. You know, the, the saying, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? It, it's got to be addressed. It's got to be talked about. And we can't just say the whole issue is taboo. Leave it alone. We've got to talk about it. Now, we've talked about John Wesley the first week that we did this, the founder of the, Mes the Methodist movement. And he said this. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, spend all you can. You know why he didn't say that? Because we don't have a problem spending, right? <laughs> no, no one has a problem spending. That's, that's something we do naturally. Sometimes we spend a lot more than we make, and that's where we, we fall into the, the problem, right? Because we do that, we have nothing to save, and because we do that, and sometimes then we have nothing to give. We've already spent it all on ourselves. This is why I put giving at the very end of the series. I know many people who say, I want to give, but I can't. Some of us are in debt. So we, we spend more than we make. We don't have anything left to give. But I want to challenge us in a sense that I say there are very few things that could bring more joy in life than when you know that you gave of yourself and you gave to somebody else. It is an incredible feeling knowing that you helped someone do something. It's, and then when you get to see what, what they did with it. Sim simply put, giving is fun. I, I, I like to give. Giving, I think, can be a whole lot of fun. And not only does God love a cheerful giver, but think about the most generous people that you've ever met, the generous, most generous people that you know. And when you think about their personality, I'm willing to bet they're generally a joyful person. The people that end up giving are people that are generally filled with joy. And then on the opposite, when you think of people who, who don't give, you can think of someone who maybe is like, oh, this person's not generous. Maybe this person lives on the more selfish side. I'm willing to bet they're not as joyful as the giving people. Just, just uh, Maybe not 100% of the time, but just I think that's a, a general rule that you can find more often than not. Giving people seem to be happier people in general. And there are a lot of ways that people give, lots of different things people give, a lot of ways we give, but I want to I focus today on what Scripture talks about, what the, the way that Christ followers have practiced for centuries, all found in Scripture with giving of our finances. And the first one is this. I'm going to say the T word that I, I think I've said in a long time, giving a tithe to God. We find this in Scripture. This is the, the most common word that, that Christ followers and Christians use today, right? A tithe. What is your tithe? Do you tithe? Do you not tithe? How do you tithe? But giving a tithe to God is one of the most common ways and biblical ways that we talk about giving. Now, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now we're going to unpack a lot in there. There's, there's a whole lot said in, the, in this passage here. And again, this is one of the more, more controversial passages in Scripture when people try and dissect it. But here, here's the heart of what's happening. Malachi is issuing a challenge to people from God. Malachi was a prophet, so these words came from God, and he's given them to the people, and he challenges the people of God who has misplaced their priorities. He says, you guys have turned away, and I'm calling you back. Getting this all front and center, this is what God is saying, hear from him. He said, you have forsaken God. 
And they ask him this passage, they say, how have we forsaken God? And if you look through the whole book of Malachi, he calls them out in a number of ways. One of the ways in Malachi chapter one, he says, he calls them out for their sacrifices. He says, all right, guys, you were bringing sacrifices to God, but what's happening with their sacrifices is there was a covenant established in the Old Testament where God says, when you sacrifice an animal to atone for sin, you got to bring me the best. God says, if that's why it's a sacrifice, right? You were bringing me something that you need, something you rely on, bring me your best. But Malachi calls people out. He said, hey, in your sacrifices right now, guys, you're not giving your best. You're giving the old stuff. You're giving the blemished stuff. You guys are not fully relying on me. You're not giving me your best. So they're called out. You're not giving me your best sacrifice. How do they forsake God? He said, you're not honoring me with your families. In chapter 2, 14 to 16, Malachi calls people out and says, you're not giving God your families first. You're not making me first in your families. And things are falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Families are breaking because you're not keeping me the focal point. And then we see here in Malachi chapter 3, he says, and you're forsaking me with your finances. You're not following God's pattern. And the thing is, I think in a lot of families today, this is something we really struggle with. Are we, are we honoring God with our finances first and foremost with our finances? And with finances, there's, there's a couple different ways people say that they honor God. Now, allow me to go back to the, the water example from earlier, full circle, right? Tie the water in. In regards to people, I think, if you look at bodies of water, with our giving, we can be like two different types of water. One, we can be like rivers. Now, rivers are typically healthy. They have a fresh flow coming into them. They have a fresh flow going out of them. They, they water things around them because of the, the splashing when they hit the rocks and the, and the, the currents and tides. And it, it's, it's fun. The, the whitewater rapids rafting is super fun, right? But you see water splashing everywhere, and they, they produce life. Some of the best places to fish. I love fishing in a river because you see fresh flows of fish coming down. But rivers have life. It flows in and out like a current of blessing and a refreshment of what God calls you to be. Winston Churchill said it this way. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. So we can be a river of a giver of life and a giving of our resources. Or we can be like a reservoir. A reservoir is built to retain, to hold on to. It doesn't have an outlet. And if a reservoir is not maintained, you know what happens to that water? It gets gross. It gets really gross. It becomes stagnant, almost swamp-like at times, right? It attracts insects and critters, and if you don't like mosquitoes, steer clear, right? They, they have no outlet or flow, so they can't be conduits of refreshing and blessing like a river would. Malachi 1 uh, comes and speaks. It says, people gave their lame and their sick animals as offerings to God. He said they were, not, they were saving the best for themselves. And when Malachi talks about giving God your first and foremost, not just with finances, he says, you guys are giving God your sick animals. You're giving him your lame. You've become stagnant in your giving. You don't even want these things, and so you're giving them to God instead. I've got to give a sacrifice, so I might as well give the, the sick animal, right? God calls him out on it. God says, I don't want that. I want you to make sure you're giving me your heart first and honoring what a sacrifice is. And just like those people, <clears throat> there can be different kinds of mentalities when we, when we give to God. So the question then is, what are we giving to God? When it comes to tithing and offering, what do we give? And this is a question, uh, maybe you'll find yourself in one of these categories. In Malachi, they were challenged because some of them were falling in this category. They were giving their leftovers. They were, they were giving their crumbs. Um, some, someone once said to me, um, I don't tithe, but I put a, a few bucks in here every now and then based off of what the message was on. Yep, it's, it's, I've heard it before. I've heard it before. Um, you, you, know what I would, you know what I would call that? I wouldn't call that a tithe. I would call that a tip. 
You, you tip the church, right? You, you give us, oh, it was, it was a good service today. Here's, here's a 20. Good service. Here's this. Um, it, it's like someone saying, you know what, God? That was a good message today. I feel like I was challenged today. Here's my tithe. Or maybe the next week, you know what, God? I, I had some, I had a rough patch this week. I had a couple unexpected bills. The, the, the pastor said something I didn't really like, so I think I'm going to bypass this week, and we'll just, we'll see what happens next time. That's, that's not being a tither. That's being a tipper. That, that's like having, having bad service at a restaurant and deciding the, the waiter doesn't deserve or the waitress doesn't deserve that tip, right? You, you tip based on the service, not based on the obedience or love for God. Like, uh, it'd be like if I had an iPad on the stage and at the end I was spun it around, and how's your tip today, right? You know, slide your card. Um, you know, that, that's gotten kind of out of hand with every store now, right? <laughs> no matter where you go. I feel like you can go to, you can go to Target and it's almost like, would you like to tip your server? But a tither or a tip, if you just give leftovers... That's not tithing. That's tipping. Or are you giving like a bruised fruit? Are you, are you giving something that maybe you're, you're not really thrilled about it? You just feel obligated. Well, I guess I have this, so I, I should do it, but I don't really want to do it. That's kind of what's left over. I don't really need this, so I guess I can get rid of it. Um, you know, you don't need it anyway, so, so why not give it away? Now, Avery in my house, she's the only one in my house who likes bananas. She's the only one who likes bananas. Um, now, one day, she was eating a banana, but you know what happens sometimes if she doesn't finish that banana? She leaves it on the counter, and then what happens to a banana sitting out on the counter after it's been peeled? I mean, the thing's already gross, but then you, you look at it, and then it's brown, and it's, it's mushy, and it's gross, and one day I asked her, I said, Avery, are you going to finish your banana? She goes over, she looks at it, she goes, well, Dad, you can have it. <laughs> I was like, this kid knows I don't like bananas in the first place. And now she's offering me this mushed up, brown, smashed, nasty remnants of a banana. She was only offering it because she was done with it. She was only offering it because she didn't want it anymore. And she was like, oh, I don't really want this. I used what I wanted. Here, I'll give you the rest. She wasn't offering me her best. She was offering me the bruised fruits. Kind of, kind of the, I don't need this anymore. Here, you can have it. It was the afterthought. I don't want to give God my bruised fruits. I don't want to give him my afterthought. Or are we going to give God our first fruits? First fruits, what we get first, we know we're giving to God first and foremost. God gave us his best. He wants our best. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your harvest. God doesn't want the leftovers. God doesn't want the, just the tips. God doesn't want what we don't want or what we don't need. God wants your first. He wants your heart. He wants your whole heart. And your first is going to be different than someone else's first, and that's okay. It's going to look different for everybody here, but the point is, it's everyone's best, and that's what we're coming to God with. So when we say tithe, what, is, what does tithe mean? The word tithe literally means a tenth. So that's why we talk about a 10%. The Lord consistently lays claim to it through Scripture, consistently says the tithe is for him. And so, so what do you mean by that, right? Well, we, we've said Based on Psalms 24.1, which we've read before, it says the, the Lord, it's already all his. We are managers and stewards of what he has given us, right? It's all his because it comes from him. And everything is on earth as his. But he says, I lay claim to a portion and allow you to steward the rest. And this actually comes from the very beginning. We see this all the way back in the beginning of Scripture. Um, in the Old Testament, the Israelites gave their tithe to God, and this was the first tenth of their income. And the way the law had it set up in the Old Testament was really, really cool. If they were farmers, you know what they gave a tenth of? Their crops. They would breed their crops. If they were shepherds, you know what they gave a tenth of? Their herds and their flock. If they were merchants, what did they give a tenth of? Their money, their profits. 
The word tithe literally meant one-tenth, and the Israelites knew this, so based on their professions at the time, they would give one-tenth of their profession because they knew it belonged to God. And it, it, the tithe was their way of acknowledging and thanking God for his generosity. And the tithe was all received and taken to the same place. They would bring it to the temple. And what it would do is the, the people that worked at the temple, they had the priests and the Levites that worked there full time, the tithe would help them live. It would help them eat. It would help them. It would, it would give them money so they could all have lives. And the, what the, the excess of the tithe that came in, they would give to the poor. So the tithe wasn't just going to the church and, and the temples at the time. It was then given out to everybody in need around them so they could be a blessing to those around them. So the tithe was established in the Old Testament. And while everyone was expected to give a tithe to God, not everybody was doing it. And that's where Malachi comes in. That's where Malachi challenges. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And people asked, how? How are we robbing God? And Malachi says, in your tithes and offerings. That's where you're robbing God. These folks who were not giving a tenth of their income, God says, you're robbing me. And that is, that is strong language. There, there are a lot of people you don't want to rip off in life, and I would say it's got to start with God, right? You don't want to take what's his. Leviticus 20, 27, 30 says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, when we talk about the word holy, that means set apart. So it is set apart. It is for him first and foremost. And what it's saying is a tithe, a tenth of what you make, is not yours, period. A tithe belongs to God. Keep it holy to God. Keep it set apart. If you keep it, if you spend it, this is what Malachi is saying, if you take that as your own, you are now robbing from God. And, and we get this. It's actually not hard to understand if we put it in today's terms. So I know on the first of every month, I have something that's due. Comes, it's going to come for the next 28 and a half years or so. I got my mortgage payment. That is due the first of every month, period. When I bought that house, I had to get a loan, right? The bank said, hey, here is money for your house, to buy your house. You've got to pay us back. Whose money did I have to buy the house with? It was the bank's. It was their money. If I were to decide I'm not going to pay them anymore, who did I just steal from? I just stole from the bank. And there are people that may say, yeah, they can afford it. Do it anyway. Stick it to the man. Yay. But, you know, that's, in all reality, I just, I'd be stealing. I'd be stealing something that wasn't mine. When I moved in and hooked up uh, utilities, I agreed, signed the contract, I will pay my utility bill every month. Otherwise, I'm stealing, right? Because that's no longer mine. I used it. I have to pay for it. It's no longer mine. It's the same thing with our tithe. God says a tenth is mine. This belongs to me. Make sure you give it back to him. It is holy to him. This is, here's a crazy thought. Do you know of anyone who would, who would rob a bank? Like literally go and rob a bank and then turn around and say, oh, by the way, can you guys help me out in this area as well and ask a bank for a blessing? That, that, that'd be ridiculous, right? Say, I'm, I'm going to you know, take this from you. And by the way, will you, will you now bless me? But we can do that with God. I think that's our mentality a lot of times with God. We say, God, I'm not going to give you this. I'm going to keep this for me. I know, I know scripture says a tenth is yours. We're stewards and managers of what's yours. I'm going to keep it for me. But by the way, God, can you also give me this? I think in that sense, we're robbing the bank than asking the bank for more. God wants our heart. We don't want to rob him and then ask for his blessing. But here's the cool thing. Malachi talks about this. If you give God your tithe, you don't need to ask for the blessing because he already promises to bless you. 
It's one of those things where he says, if you do this, I will already pour my blessings on on you. Malachi says, give God the tithe. You don't have to ask for it. It's yours. And this isn't a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you start tithing, all of a sudden you're going to have money pouring out your ears more than you know what to do with. This is not a give here and he will give you, your bank account will just explode. It's not a prosperity gospel because I think everyone's blessings look different. But what this is, is this is a promise that God has for everybody. He says, if you tithe, I will bless you. It's God saying, you honor me and I will honor you. That blessing is going to look different for everybody. God works in lives in so many different ways. How he blesses one family may not be how he blesses your family. And how he blesses your family will not be how he blesses another family. But the promise is God will bless you. If you're faithful to him, he will be faithful to you. And then we come to this age-old question where people think, all right, all right, I, I hear what you're saying about tithing, but did you know that that's just an Old Testament thing? That's just Old Testament. People have said that. I don't tithe anymore because that's Old Testament law. But let's talk about what the New Testament says because I know that the New Testament came and, um, and there was a lot that was abolished and a lot was, that was fulfilled. But what does the New Testament say? Because we don't live under Old Testament law anymore. We live under the grace of Jesus. Okay, let's, let's look at it. What does the Bible say from Old Testament to New Testament? So there's the genesis of it, the genesis of the tithe. Genesis 2, 16 to 17 says this. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now you may say, Dustin, what does that have to do with tithing? We're going back to, to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But hear me on this. God says, you work this, you watch over it, you are free to eat from anything except this, this is mine. This is holy, this is set apart, do not touch it. Some people may see this as a prohibition. They're like, you know what? God is just being prohibitive. But what this really is, I think, is God is establishing protection with people for an even deeper work in issues of the heart that he wanted people to understand from the very beginning. God was establishing recognized rights where he was saying, I'm giving you all this, but set this aside for me. He did it from the very beginning. He said, you don't need to take everything in your reach, just a portion of what's in your reach. Make sure something is set aside. I believe this is God stewarding, like, like Father God telling his kids, hey, all yours, this is all yours to steward, but don't touch this, this one's mine. It's like God was establishing the first 10% right there in the garden. You've got 100 trees, however many trees they had, the one is mine, this is mine, stay away. This one, don't touch it. Something is set apart. And I think that, <clears throat> there's a principle we can get established there on understanding not to take what's not ours. And really what, what God does with the, with the 10%, what God does with our income, I think leads us to recognize the difference in all things of what's ours versus what's his. And the problem is at, at the fall, at Genesis 3, people listened to the enemy instead. People said, all right, I know God said this, but the enemy said, God, God knows if you have it, you'll keep a portion of it, you'll be better off. You'll be totally better off. You'll know God. You'll be like God. Just, you'll be better off. And people fell, fell into it. That same thing happens today. We still buy into the, but God doesn't need this. You can do this instead. We fall into those lies. People were tempted to play their way, and we do that today, and we end up violating his divine claim on our lives. So we see, uh, we see tithing in Genesis. Tithing was established before the law. Before the law was a thing, tithing was established. Genesis 11, or Genesis 14, uh, verses 17 to 20, is actually the first mention of the tithe. So we, we see Abraham goes and rescues people, and there's a king, who Melchizedek, who is the priest of the Most High God, and his name means king of righteousness. He's the king of Salem, which means peace. 
He represents Christ in the story, and he's not a part of the Levitical priesthood of the Old Covenant, but he's mentioned also in Hebrews, and he's seen as like this Christ-like figure of his time. Abraham tithes a tenth of all his spoils and a tenth of all his choices spoils in this time. So we see a tenth happening before the Israelites are commanded to give a tenth to the temple. We see, we see Abraham giving a tenth. We see him giving his tithe. In Genesis 28, 22, we see Jacob. He has an encounter with God, uh, an encounter with God that, that leaves him crippled, but, but there's, this, there's this separation, and he renames it Bethel. He calls this the house of God, a place where he finds out God is not just but here, but he's in my heart in this place. And what is his response? Once someone knows God and sees what he's done, he will tithe to God. That's what Jacob says. He will give a tithe to God. This is all done before the law is written. So we see tithing before the law. Then we see tithing come, it actually physically becomes the law. Leviticus 27.30, which we read earlier. We know this passage. And the, the law was established. You must give your tithe to God about trusting him and leading us out of a selfish bend we may have, relying on him and making sure he is first and foremost. We're giving it to him. Then we see tithing happen after the law. Jesus comes. And when the question is, did Jesus teach about tithing? Did, did Jesus talk about giving and, and tithing? And it's more like he, he assumed this. It's fascinating to me that, that Jesus mentioned tithe in only three places. And actually, the, the context of each one is somewhat negative when Jesus talks about it. But it's not that tithing is negative. It's that Jesus goes so much deeper than tithing. He makes it so much more about the money. He makes it about the heart behind the money. And I love that Jesus opens everyone's eyes to it's not the money, it's the heart behind what's coming from. Are we being obedient and loving to God's word more than we are with our finances? Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the, of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. The same passage is in Luke eleven forty two, and, and Jesus is really talking about the heart, right? He calls the Pharisees out and says, what's happening is your heart is out of place. And so Jesus talks about tithing, but when he does it, he says, we need to have these things. We need to have a proper priority. What is your priority with your tithe? What, what are, why are you doing this? We see Jesus correcting their legalism, right? The Pharisees, they, they knew the law. They followed the law, and they were strict with following the law. So strict that, that Jesus says they did give a tenth of their spices, a tenth of their dill. They were tithing as they were accustomed to tithing because the, the, the Pharisees were fastidious about it. Like they, they would not mess this up. They would do the tithe. But then Jesus calls them out and says it's even deeper than that. He says, you know what? You're doing great with your tithe, but how are you on loving people? How are you on actually giving God your heart behind it? You're messing up. You are really messing up here. He says, you should have practiced the latter, the justice and loving people and loving God, without leaving the former, the tithing undone. So Jesus isn't saying, forget about the tithe, just love the people. He says, you can't do one without the other. It's an, it's an all-encompassing act of worship. You've got you've to give your tithe, but you've got to have the heart behind it. Have a proper priority with your heart when you give it. Jesus could have said, take care of justice, love, and mercy, and don't worry about tithing, but he didn't. He endorsed it at the same time. He said, you can't do one without the other. Don't forget about them. Keep them going forward. Grammarians call this the moral imperative, acknowledging something that ought to be. So basically, laws that should be violated, that they shouldn't be violated, they need to have Jesus affirming the heart to seek justice, love God, and be obedient with the tithe. 
Another thing we can have here when Jesus calls them out is the wrong attitude. Don't want to have the wrong attitude when it comes to giving our, our best to God. Luke 18, 12, we see the prayer of a self-righteous Pharisee. This Pharisee comes and he says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. And, and I am just an incredible person because I'm so faithful. And he's doing it very publicly. But what we see is an attitude of selfishness even with this Pharisee. Yeah, he's doing the right things, but he's doing it for himself and not for God. His tithing was done religiously, but without any love at all. It was, it was an example of self-evident righteousness, not an expression of worship. An example of giving without love. And in each case here, in these two passages, God exposes the person's heart. He says, more than the money, let's look at your heart. Because more than anything, when it comes to tithing, we need to have a right heart. This is where I said this kind of controversial that I'm saying. More than anything, I want us to have the right heart for God. Above all else. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5 through 7, Paul talks about this incredible generosity of the Macedonian Christians. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Paul talks about all, so many times in Scripture, he'll, he'll, in, his, in the end of his books, he'll say, thank you for your generosity and giving. But I love the special shout out he gives right here. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And that was a secret of their generosity. It wasn't them just giving finances. It wasn't them just giving a tenth. He said, you are giving yourselves to God first. And because of that, you are generous. Are we able to give generously and joyful to God? Or when we talk about giving, are we squirming a little bit? Are we able to say, God, I'm giving this back to you because it is all yours? Or as we, as we write the check or we, we type in the numbers online, or are we, are we going, God, this, this is really hurting me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm squirming. I want to make sure that it's not about the money. It's all about an act of love. It's an act of obedience. It's an ultimately an act of worship. It's about where your heart is in giving first to God. And what we, give our, what we give to God is our best. For some of us, money can be the last great frontier. We've given everything to God except our wallet. We see in this passage that the people excelled in faith. They excelled in speech. They excelled in knowledge. They, and that extended into their giving. Giving the first 10% of an income, you know, ultimately, this is an act of love, but you know what else is a huge act of? It's an act of faith. It is a big act and leap of faith. When I tithe, I'm saying, God, I trust you to meet my needs. I'm trusting you in my finances. And, and let, this is something really God really convicted me on when it comes to, to giving and tithing. If we can trust God for our eternal destiny, we should be able to trust him to meet our temporal financial needs as well. If we can trust God to meet our eternal destiny, we should be able to trust him to meet our temporal and financial needs. God said, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse. And that was the temple. That was the place that they worshiped. He said, where you're worshiping, bring your tithe there. So when people ask me, uh, where should I tithe? What, what should I do? I would say, you know what? It goes to your home church. Where, 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 where is your place of worship? Where do you go? If you're, if you're a visitor visiting us here today and you have another home church, I would say tithe to your home church. That is home. That is your ministry. That's where your people are. That's where you're serving. That's where you're plugged in. If you're here, this is home. This is where it comes. I always say tithe to your home church. And that's, that's a biblical principle, right? If, if you buy your groceries at Fred Meyer, you don't walk out and pay Safeway for the bill. It, it, that doesn't make sense, Right? You got, the, you got the stuff from there, so that's where you pay. That's where you give. If you go to a church and that's your home, give to that church. Give to that home. 
Um, some people have different mentalities about what to give or how to give or what, what designated giving is. Um, a pastor friend of mine named Jim Plummer um, told a guy, once of a guy, who said, you know what, Pastor Jim, I know that finances are tight and you're not getting paid much. I want to tithe to you. I want to pay you instead. So Jim Plummer told him, um, no, don't tithe to me. That's God's money. I'm not going to be a part of robbing God. <laughs> give it to the church. Don't give it to me. Don't give it directly to me. Give it to the church. It belongs with the church. Then the man asked, well, can I give my tithe through a specific ministry? Can I just write my tithe check and say, my entire tithe will go towards youth. My entire tithe will go towards missions. And Jim told him, no, that's not a tithe. That is an offering. The tithe belongs to where you worship. The tithe goes to the church. And uh, the people that, that will help operate the church, the pastor and the board, they will designate where the funds go. If you want to give to something special, you can designate an offering, but don't ever let your offering replace or take away from your tithe. You don't, what happens there is if we start to do that, we start to control our tithe. Then we're not saying, God, I trust you with my tithe. We're saying, I trust me and where I'm going to put my money. We say, when we give it to, to the church in general, we say, hey, I'm trusting the church leadership is following God. The church leadership is trusting God, and that's going to get used the way that we have prayed about, the way that we've met as a congregation, our business meeting, and voted on, the way we are trying to bless the people around us. We're trusting God will work through these finances. If you want to donate something after your tithe, that's different. You see, see having a right heart is different than having the controlling heart when it comes to finances. Some people would say, um, I'll start tithing. This, is, this, this has happened to me. Someone said, you know what, pastor? I will start tithing if you do this. I know you, you guys laugh, but I was sitting on the other side of my, my desk going, do I negotiate with terrorists? How do I, how do I handle this? <laughs> you know, what I, what I told this person who told me that, this person did say, I will start tithing if you do this. I said, you know what? What I'd rather have you do than say what you'll do for me or the church, I would rather have you say, God, I will honor you first and then let your next comments come after that. Unfortunately, that person no longer goes here. But I, I was confident in what I said because I knew this was, not about, this was not about controlling me. This was not about controlling church. This is about me just wanting to say, you know what? I just want you to follow God. Follow God first and foremost. What you do with your tithe is between you and him. I'd rather you be obedient to God than anything else with your own desire for your finances. I would request that what you do with designated never replaces your faithful tithe. I know of another family who, could, who decided to start to tithe. Check this out. Their home was getting foreclosed on. They decided then to start tithing. This was, this was known by other people. They had said, can you believe such and such is now tithing? They're about to lose their home. They can't afford to tithe. You know what this family said? We decided if there's no other better time to trust God with our finances, now is the time. They started tithing. It was an incredible act of faith. And by the grace of God, they didn't lose their home. It was incredible to see what happened in their life. Some people would say, I can't afford to tithe. I would say, you can't afford not to. You can't afford to not trust God here. Some people would say, I, can't, I don't give my time, or I don't give my money, I give my time. I would say, that's an offering. That's an offering, that's not a tithe. Look, so what can we do? What can we do if, if you, maybe if you want to start, but you've never done it before? I would say, have a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. There may be a lot of people here, a lot of people in the church in general that say, you know what, I want to tithe, I, I want to do 10%, but if I do 10%, this is a very real statement, if I do 10%, I will lose my home because I'm in debt. 
If I decide right now, as I'm looking at it, I don't have any extra expenditures, I'm, not doing, I'm just scraping by, and if I decided all of a sudden to do 10%, I will lose everything. Here's what I would say for you. Here's, here's what I challenge you to those people. I would say, you know what? Start, pick a percentage. Pick a small percentage and say, you know what, God? I can do this. This is, and this is, this is after, you know, you've, you, you've looked at your budget, you've taken out the unnecessary things, but for whatever reason, you're in a hole. I don't know how people, you know, maybe you've got in that hole, but you've, you've hit something that has really strapped you down. I would say, take a percentage and commit to that percentage and say, God, I'm going to give you this, whether it's 1%, 3%, 5%. You say, I can do this and start working towards a full tithe. And as you see God working in your finances, you go, oh my gosh, things have changed. I can hit six now. Now I can do seven. Work, work your way up to that, but make that commitment with God. Say, as things change, I will commit to getting to the, the 10%. And I would say, watch God work in a way that you probably didn't expect him to work. God understands. God knows your heart. Like I said, this is about your heart. And if your heart is one that says, I will get there, God, and you make that deal with him, watch him work. Never doubt what he can do. Watch and see when he sees your heart, when he sees you want to do the right thing, watch him bless your efforts. Take an honest look at your budget. Take an honest look at, at what are we doing? What are we, if we're just scraping by, what are we, ex, what are we embellishing in? What, what does it say about us when we say, God, I can afford to pay my, my magazine subscription. I can afford to pay my video game subscription. I can afford to pay for this service. I can afford to, afford to pay for that service, but I can't afford to give you 10%. What does that say about us in our lives? I think it would say that if we're, if we're in that situation, God's not number one. We're number one. We're making sure all of our, our uh, luxuries are taken care of, and then we're looking at God. I would say we've got to make sure we're honoring God, and then we're looking at our, our luxuries and things that we want. Take an honest look at your budget. Maybe you need to make some adjustment. Maybe we don't need you know, a $10 coffee every, every other day or something. I know that I, I used to, remember the day when a drink used to be under $5? $5, that was crazy. Or maybe you're a person of faith, big faith, and you're going to take that plunge and say, you know what? I've never done a 10% give before religiously and faithfully. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to, I'm going to do it and work things out as we go. Maybe you just take the plunge. Give God the whole tithe. See what happens. See what happens when, when, when God does this. Now, this is the one thing in Scripture that God says, test me here. I love that. This is the area with our finances. Why do you think that is? Because we have such a strong grip on it, because we say we want to be in control of it so much. This is the area where God says, if you want to test me, Test me with your finances and see that I don't open up my storehouses, make it more than they can hold. So if you're someone of big faith, give it a shot. See what happens. Test God in this area. Every tither I know says, God has blessed me so much. And most non-tithers I know say, I can't afford this. Think about those two statements. The people that give say, God has blessed, and people that don't say, I can't afford it. From the very beginning, there's, there's Christians that have believed that those of us under grace will do more than we ever could under the law. The leaders of the early church believed this so much that the tithe was a starting point of Christian giving that every grace-filled believer, you know what happened in the early church? They exceeded the 10%. For example, an early church leader, Irenaeus, wrote this. He said, and for this reason, the Jews had indeed the tithes of their, gods, of their goods consecrated to him, but those who have received liberty set aside all their possessions for the Lord's purposes, bestowing joyfully and freely not the less valuable portions of their property. Since they have hope of better things hereafter, just like that poor widow acted who cast all of her living to the treasury of God. 
he, he, was, he was contrasting how the, the Jewish practice of the tithe with, with the early Christ followers of the time, they were giving everything to God. He was saying grace isn't an excuse to give less. It's the reason that we choose to give more. And so after our tithe, we, we have this. We have our offerings, right? We talk about tithe and offerings, and sometimes people will lump those together. Scripture actually talks about these two separate things. There is our tithe and there's our offering. Malachi 8 through 10 says that. What are the other offerings people give? We said the tithe is the first 10%. The offerings are above and beyond the 10%. In the Old Testament, it was called a free will offering, meaning you gave it because you wanted to, not because you had to, not because it was the law, not because you needed to. This was something you just wanted to give above and beyond. Free will giving can be a blessing. For some, it can be a huge sacrifice giving something like this. I've told this story before, but it's applicable here. There was a farmer who loved to have ham and eggs every morning for breakfast. One day out in the farmyard, a hen was crackling to a hog about how much she enjoyed providing for the farmer every day for breakfast. The pig said, for you, it's an offering. For me, it's a sacrifice. Right? Free will offerings are given as an expression of thanks, as an expression of worship. And, and there's a few things that, that we do here for free will offerings. Free will offerings are given for special projects um, like, like the Mexico missions trip or, or if we have, a, 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 if we have a, a campaign to raise money for something on campus. Free will offerings can be given to support a specific ministry, like the Mexico trip or camp, or when we do um, outreaches where we collect presents and give them to, to foster care families. Free will offerings are given for the poor. I know that uh, the, the one special offering we receive here at Celebration comes in, uh, in November. We receive our harvest offering, and that's the one special offering we take where all the money goes out. We're able to bless missionaries. We're able to give to people, and later on in November this year, we're going we're gonna to be offering a free class for parents in the community on how they can, can handle and parent with excellence and godly principles, how they can help parent teens in a, in a world where there's screen addiction, there's drug addiction, there's porn addiction. How do parents navigate this? The harvest offering is going to help us provide a resource for parents in our community. I got to ask um, a lot of parents in our, in our neighbors over there, uh, right next door to us, what are some things you want help with? And they said, this is an area. How can we better parent our kids? Our harvest offering is going to go to a resource for that. This is what an offering is. This doesn't replace the tithe. This is above and beyond. Thanksgiving, we, we were able to, to buy food for families that don't have Thanksgiving. We get to be a blessing for people because we are a blessed people. Tithing is a big deal. It's a big deal. I don't want to be someone who who's takes from God, I'm someone who keeps from myself. I want to be someone who says, God, I'm giving you my best, giving you my first. And because of that, I'm going to see how you're blessing me, not just how you're blessing me, but how you're blessing the church and how the resources are going through it. We're a blessed people. We have the ability to not only tithe, but the ability to give. And Alan nailed it when he came up here right in the beginning. He said, we have a generous church. Every time we do something here at church, whether it's raising money for Mexico, the teens, when we say, hey, we're going to raise money for something, you guys are givers, and I love that. I love that so much about this place. We are blessed, and I love that we get to be a blessing, and we get to do that with the right heart in our tithes and offerings with God. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to close our finances series here, and there's two questions I want us really to dwell on. Um, write these down or pull out your phone and take a picture of them when they pop up on the screen here. But I think there's two critical questions that we can ask about this area in our lives with people. One is this, do you want what God wants and his blessing? Do you want what God wants and his blessing? I'm pretty sure the unanimous answer to that is yes. Yes, I want what God wants. Yes, I want his blessing. But the second part, are you willing to do it God's way? Are you willing to do it God's way? You see, we have our way, 
the world's way, there's God's way. And just think, we've got, we've got ink and paper, right? Some means more than others. We've got ink and paper right here. We've got ink and paper right here. Now, if I were to take this here, I would say, all right, one is, less, let, one is worth less significantly more if I were to walk into a store with it than the other. But the other is worth more, more than the words I'm able to put into it really are. One has worldly value. One has eternal value. What am I going to stake my life on? The world's value or the eternal value? My attitude and response to both of these will dictate so much in my life. My attitude and response to the dollar can shift me. My attitude and my response to what Scripture says can shift me in a totally different way. And ultimately, my attitude and response is going to rely on what one's controlling me. Am I letting the word of God work in me, or am I letting the word of the world control me? The Bible is not God, but it is the word of God. It is living and active, and I've come to trust it and what he says through it more than anything in my life. I've come to let him guide me, fill my lifestyle with him and his blessing. Money is ink on paper, but if I let it have mastery over me instead of mastering it, I've got a huge priority issue, and that's going to lead to a life of hurting, a life of selfishness and greed. And I don't want my money, I don't want to be a servant to the dollar. I want to be a servant to God. I'm going to challenge the church now. This is uh, something I want us to do as a church. I'm calling this the divine dare. And if you go out into the lobby, the coffee bar, you'll see sheets of paper that look like this giving us what's called the divine dare. And I'm just going to read it to you. It says this. There's only one place in scripture where God tells us to test him. It is found in Malachi chapter three, where God is calling his people back to repentance and to trust him. So there's two parts to this dare for everybody. It has Malachi three, what we've just read on here in, in church today. And it says this, in this money talk series, let's find out, do we really trust God? Do we trust him as a church? Do we trust him as, our, as, as individuals? If you are not a regular tither, this is the challenge for you. If you already are a regular tither, no challenge needed. Thank you for honoring God with your finances, for trusting him with your heart in this. If you are not, if, you, if you've wondered about it or maybe you just haven't done it or you've, you've, you've tipped, not saying that in a, in a mean way, but just you look in the, the way you've given to the church is, is you tip but you don't tithe, this is a challenge for you. It's a challenge for all of us. I would want you to do this. One, for the month of August, well, this, sorry, the first part's for everybody. For the month of August, we're asking everyone who calls Celebration Church your home, test God in this area. Test God. What, test God in, in the area of your finances. Give a tithe, 10% of your gross income to God through Celebration Church. What would it look like if the whole church for the next six weeks, we said, we are all giving? Everybody is giving the 10% in. I'm not too sure what will happen, but I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty excited to see what can happen with what God does there. Part two, if you're not a regular tither, start a plan for four months. Start a plan for four months, take one of these out, fill it out, mail it to me, bring it to me, scan it and email it to me or send it to info at ccpwallop.com. Here's the challenge. For four months, set aside your percentage. 10% ideally, that's what the Bible calls for. But if you're one of those people who says, I can only do three, otherwise I'm gonna lose my house. Start with the three. Make that commitment and say, I'm gonna do this for four months, August to November. And if you're not seeing a change or you fall even further behind or your life falls apart because you decided to tithe, I'll give you your money back. No questions asked, I'll give it back. I trust and believe God so much that he says, I will bless and honor you that I'm willing to take that challenge. 
I'm willing to, I'm, what I want to happen is for people to do this, and then I want to get calls and emails, but the calls I want are, I can't believe what God is doing now. I can't believe that this is how things have changed because of what God is doing in my life. After, and you heard all that right, if you properly budget, sign up for this, start with the percent. If you, under, if you fall under crazy hardships because of this, I'll give you your money back. 100% refund. I said before, this is not about the money. I don't know of any other way to, to express this is not about me just wanting your money. I'm offering it all back if something bad happens. But I believe, I trust that God will honor what he says in scripture. Challenge me here and watch what I will do. Really hope you heard all my heart behind this, that I, I trust and believe God so much with our finances. It's not that we can't afford to tithe. It's I truly believe with the bottom of my heart, we can't afford not to because I want to give God everything. I want to give him my whole heart first and foremost. Amen? Would you stand with me? As we close today, if you want to, if you want to put that to the test, grab one of those forms, take it home, fill it out, email it back. Test God, recess, test me, and watch him pour his blessing out onto you. Watch him be faithful because we are faithful to him. God, I thank you so much. I thank you that you are loving. I thank you that you're giving. I thank you that you're generous and good. And I pray, God, that, that our finances, our resources here reach far beyond anything we could ever imagine because they are blessed by you. God, and I pray for all of us that before our finances, God, we give you our hearts, nothing less than our whole heart. Obedience and giving and tithing comes after that and through that, God. But I pray that you give us all an, a heart check, an attitude check where we say, God, we are all in. We are, we are like the, the pig in the story. This is a sacrifice. God, I'm giving it for you. It's not ours. It's yours first. So God, I pray for our hearts. I pray you touch us. I pray you move in us. And I pray our reach goes far beyond anything because it is reached and stretched by you. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.